Right, so the Gospel of Luke, all about Jesus, his life, the story of him. We've been kind of working our way up. Kind of one through nine really kind of paints that picture and asking that question of who is this Jesus? Kind of builds up to the pinnacle of the transfiguration. Pastor Rick did that great job of kind of in the most full way he has yet answering that question. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that you need. And this Messiah is no mere man. That's the glory of God shining through him. This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. And now he really helps us understand who he is. What does that mean for your life? What does that mean to be a Christian, to be a disciple? And now as Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, to the cross, he begins to answer more of those questions. Where we find ourselves this morning is the Good Samaritan. Famous passage. I mean, even in our culture, you hear people, oh, trying to be a good Samaritan. Where does that come from? That comes from this famous story. My hope and prayer is that you would not kind of click into autopilot. Oh, yeah, good Samaritan. I've heard that before. I know what that's about. God's word is living and active. As I studied it this week, this passage came alive to me. I think there are depths in this passage that I never saw before. And God's word really is living and active. That's my hope for you. I mean, I'm in the corner of Dunkin' Donuts just studying this, and God's breaking my heart by this. People that know me think I'm weird. People that don't must think I'm extremely weird. I'm just in the corner of Dunkin' Donuts just like crying, reading this passage. <laughs> Dude, Caleb comes up to me. He's like, hey, I'm, you know, Caleb, I'm from the church. Can I pray for, can I pray for you? I'm like, yeah, what is it? You know, I'm crying by myself. So I hope, man, if God does just a tenth in your heart what he's done in mine, I think we'll be in a good spot. So let's dive in and start with, this is kind of the intro to the Good Samaritan. We're in Luke 10. Let me read. Please follow along. And behold, a lawyer stood up to, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? So this is important to understanding the Good Samaritan setup. You know, what are the questions Jesus is answering? One of the first things I think you can clearly glean from this scripture is there's not many lawyers in heaven. I think that's clear. You know, the lawyers that stop it. Come on. No. It's not what it's about. Here's the deal. Actually, when you think, when you see kind of the lawyer stand up to test Jesus, we love lawyers. Jesus does too. Don't think, you know, lawyer in that sense. This isn't like Johnson, Johnson, and Stouffer's. You know, we'll get that ambulance for you. This is a whole different kind of lawyer. This is, so when, when the scripture says lawyer, this is a biblical scholar. He doesn't know civil law. He knows the books of the Bible. So don't get confused when you hear lawyer think Bible professor. This is a biblical scholar testing Jesus on his knowledge you know, of the Old Testament. That's what's happening here. He asks them kind of the question. So remember this. Keep this logged in your brain. How do I inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? How do I, how am I saved? You know, how do I get to heaven? Very common questions 
theologians of that time wrestled with, it is the question we still wrestle with it. This is the million-dollar question. This is far more important than whatever questions you're wrestling with in your life. And I can prove that to you. You know, you are wrestling and struggling through things. How much time is going to be impacted by that decision? Some of you are like stressed out this morning, like, man, what do I wear? I'm trying to look good for church, you know? And that's going to affect what the next 10 hours. Some of you are stressed out. What should my major be? That'll affect the next four years. But what, what job should I have? That may affect the next 10 years of your life. What spouse? Well, maybe that would affect the next 60. And you stress out about these things. This question will impact the next go quadrillion billion years. This is forever. Have you ever thought all the energy you spend trying to worry about these smaller decisions, this question will impact eternity? Almost without fail, you know, people believe in eternity. We'll continue to exist forever. Do you have an answer to the pertinent question of, hey, what determines where I spend eternity? So right now, I want to ask you that question. And I'm going to just shut up and stop talking, which isn't easy for me. That's not my gift. So I'm going to try to quiet down for a minute because I ask you this. I want you to think of your answer in your head. This is not hypothetical. Listen to me. You will stand before God. He will ask you this question. You should have an answer. It will affect eternity. I want to ask it to you the way I've asked it to others and the way it kind of hit home, the way it was asked to me. You're standing before God. He's standing at the judgment seat. Heaven is behind him. And he sits and asks you, which he will to everyone, why should I let you in? I want you to think of your answer in your head right now. What are you going to say? Oh, that's all I got. I can't do it anymore. Okay. That's hard. Okay. Whew. Hopefully you had an answer in your head. This is not hypothetical. This is forever the most important question you ever need to answer. Now, it's interesting. By and large, the vast majority of us, I would say that the default for all of us, what we start with, and I've asked people this question many times, it almost all begins with, well, you know, I try to be a good person. You know, I'm a good person. And here's the thing, because we even start with, and then you can see it start to catch up even with a lawyer. It's, you know, I'm a good person. Well, and then you catch yourself, you go, well, I try to be a good person, because you know, you know you're not all the time, so you try to be a good person. And then you realize, man, you fall so short of what God wants for you. And so then almost everybody, you know, I try to be a good person, and then, okay, and then you start putting your religious resume. Well, I went to church, you know, I tried to help people, I tried to do, maybe I got baptized, confirmed. And that is the setup to the Good Samaritan. And we're gonna test that. Because again, Jesus kind of affirms, hey, and at the surface, it just it seems like, yeah, love God, love people. You know, do that and you're pretty okay. Is that really what's, what Jesus is saying, how we're saved? Hey, just be a decent person, love God, and we're okay. And initially, you're starting with like, yeah, I'm a good person. And as we dive in, Jesus is kind of like, okay, you're a good person. Let's test that. Really? Really? That's my Ace Ventura. You ever seen that movie? It's funny. Is that really the case? 
Is that what Jesus is saying here? And already the lawyer's thrown off because clearly he expected Jesus to argue back. And Jesus says, what do you think? He says, well, love God. Love God with all of your heart. Love God with all of your mind, soul, strength. Love God with everything you are. Love people as yourself. And Jesus says, good, go do that and we're fine. Now the lawyer says the right answer and he goes, huh, is that really me? Do I really love God with all that I am and love my neighbor as myself? Do you really care about your neighbors? So whatever you're wrestling through now, this, the tenacity that that bothers you, when your neighbor has that same issue, do you care exactly the same? And he goes, huh. Maybe I'm not this good person I think I am. And so what, do you, what does he do? All right, but Jesus, come on. Like, I get it, you know. Hey, love God, love people. But kind of give it, let, let's break this down a little bit. Like, that's gotta be reachable. Like, who's my neighbor? Let's break this down for me a little bit. And this is what Jesus, this is the answer in the Good Samaritan. How do I get saved? But break it down for me. They're like, really, who all do I gotta love? So let's dive back in as Jesus gives him the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, thank goodness, a priest was going down that same road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came down the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. But now a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound, him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Let me ask you, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, all right, you go and do likewise. Let's unpack this a little bit. Again, I think there's depths here that, man, really came alive for me. One, understand some context. So this road, Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a 17-mile stretch. It's an elevation change of like 3,000 feet. You know what that means? It's winding through all these caves and mountains and going through all these valleys. You know what that means? It's dangerous. I just watched a Western recently. You ever notice like Westerns, they all seem to have that same feel, and the dude's like going through a valley, you know. It always happens when they're in a valley. Why? That's the perfect place for an ambush. You can't see them. You don't know what's around the edge. And as soon as you get there, it's too late. They've ambushed you. It is perfect for that. A stretch of this road was known as the Pass of Blood. This is a dangerous road, and everybody knew it. So that's what's going on. And so this guy gets mugged, is left there half dead. I even love how it says it, but now by chance. And you think by like good luck, by happen chance, a pastor, a priest goes by. And then a Levite, and they cross on the other side. And you got to keep in mind as well, a priest in the Old Testament, it was their job. It was, they were the ones whose job it was to care for the poor. 
Thank goodness the professional religious guy comes through and he passes on the side of the road and then so does a Levite. I mean, to put that in our context, you know, think that's like a guy's mugged and a pastor's walking by. I was going to tell the story and I was going to have you imagine, like, imagine like Pastor Rick walking by. I'm like, oh, I feel bad throwing him under the bus. And then I changed it to myself and that felt way too uncomfortable. So like, imagine your favorite pastor from another church walking down the road, you know. And then he passes by. And then a Levite was kind of like a, he wasn't quite a priest, but he was maybe thinking like a priest assistant. And so just think, you know, like maybe, so a pastor and then another church staff goes by. So like Gary Durbin walks by. I'll throw him under the bus, I don't care. And you said, then he too just leaves the man. Then a Samaritan. You gotta know that these people hated each other. I mean, Jews and Samaritans think today like Israel, Palestine, hundreds of years of hatred. Do you see how he can't even say Samaritan? That's the kind of hatred. Who's the neighbor? Well, he doesn't say the Samaritan. Well, the, the, the one guy who showed mercy. These people hated each other. So I want to dive into this. First, I want you to think. And again, you know, we're, we're all good people, right? What would you do in that scenario? Of course I'd help him. I'd give him the shirt off my back. That's the kind of guy I am. Whoever seen the show, What Would You Do? Anybody ever see that? Like, hi, I'm John Quinotes. And he comes out, and he, they set up these scenarios to watch what people would do. They actually set up this scenario of a guy hurting on the ground. You'd be amazed, you'd be surprised, as much as you say you would, how hesitant you would be to help them. How many news stories? I watched a guy, you know, in preparation for this, just dead on the side of the road. Somebody loads their groceries right where he is, gets up and leaves, and that guy's dead. Would we really? We that good people that we would do whatever it takes to understand that truly. I think you need to understand the depths of what the good Samaritan went to. What would you do in that situation? I'll bet you anything you wouldn't do what this Samaritan did. I read a great book, and it was just a fun little book of love does. Oh, I love God. I love people. Love isn't intention. Love isn't thinking, yes, I'm a loving person. Love is action. Look at all the action of what the good Samaritan did. He saw him, had compassion, went to him. He binds up his wounds. He pours oil and wine. And this isn't like the take the edge off. They weren't doing shots like, hey, buddy, here, look at some wine in you. You had a bad day. That was actually medicinal. So they would pour that. That was kind of like their antiseptic of the day. That's another cultural thing. So please don't try that. Like if you're out, like your friend, you cut your leg, don't throw like Merlot on that thing. And then you're going to go to the hospitals and be all infected. And you're going to have me like, oh, no, the Bible said pour wine. It's like, don't go to that church ever. So keep in mind that what happened was he's saying that that was medicinal. He picks him up, you know, sets him on his own animal, sends him to the inn. Now, here's the deal. We look like, oh, wow, that was, that was quite nice. Let me unpack to you some of the cultural context. And let's put this in a modern setting. This is a bad neighborhood, so you're on your way. You're driving to Chicago. Your GPS gets lost, and somehow you, on, you end up on some side roads, and you end up just in the most dangerous neighborhood in the south side of Chicago. Now, think about that. You know, put yourself, you're driving somehow, and you get off track, and you're in the middle of Compton. You know how you can just feel that when you're like, dang, man, this neighborhood got sketchy, you know? This is a sketchy neighborhood, you see somebody lying on the side of the road. What do we do? Even seeing them is huge. We try to not look. Oh, well, they're probably just drunk. You know, they probably brought this on themselves. You know, you're in this, this situation. That's probably a gang member. He probably deserved this. 
We don't even stop to see people. We go out of our way to not see people because it makes me feel guilty. If I really stopped to see this guy was in trouble, we don't even stop. And then when we do, in that scenario, that what would you do? They put a beer can in the guy's hand. Nobody stops. He brought this on himself. That dude's drunk. God helps those who help themselves. We go through all these reasons why that person doesn't deserve our help. Some people say that. You know, that's one of my favorite verses. God helps those who help themselves. I got two things to say to that. One, that's a stupid favorite verse. Two, it's not a verse. That people, I've heard people quote that as the Bible. Understand, that's not in the Bible. Like, can we set that straight? But we do that. Oh, they probably brought it on themselves. That's probably a gang member. They might be, they might be illegal in here. I don't know. We, we, they don't deserve our love. He doesn't ask those questions. He doesn't know the answer to any of those questions. He just loves the guy. So you're driving through. You're in this horrible neighborhood, dangerous neighborhood in the middle of Chicago, and he goes over to him. You're seeing a guy on the side of the road in a horrible neighborhood. Do you get out? No. The best of us. We lock the doors, and our good Samaritan, and we pat ourselves because we're good people, we call the cops. Who in that situation is getting out of the car? You bend over and see this dude is bleeding out. You think about this situation. Somebody was mugged and shot by a gun. What do you know? Bad people with a gun are nearby. This guy just got robbed. Whoa. This could be gang turf. I don't know. He doesn't care. He gets out of the car, sees him bleeding. So you you see a CVS. So you run to the CVS. You You get all the gauze, bandages, medicine. You pick up some wine just in case we need some wine. And then he goes over. And bandages guy pays for medicine for this guy out of the CVS. He picks him up. What's this guy wearing? Nothing. Like picture, nah, don't picture that. It'll get too weird. He at least got some draws on. So picture he's still got some draws on him. So this dude bleeding out. So this dude, for all you know, a gang member, a criminal, you pick up this bleeding man and then you throw him in your car. Some of you won't let your own kids bring goldfish in your car. Because oh, I'm rolling the upholstery. You take a stranger, a bleeding out stranger, and place him in your car. He has to walk alongside him. For some reason, you can't go. you got to give a statement. You, send, you find a stranger, and you send the stranger in this man, hey, go find the nearest hotel. i got to stay back. And you sit in this horrible, dangerous neighborhood and wait to catch an Uber while you give that man your car. You take him to the nearest Hotel, and what we know about the inns here, I don't know what the inn he went to is a red roof inn. I don't know what the high, what it was. But it, we know at this time it was probably a sketchy inn. He goes to the man. Now, at the very best, you drop this man off at the hotel. He spends the night with the guy in the CD hotel. I mean, we know that because what happened? He paid the guy the next day. He spends the night there and gives him two denarii. Some of you are like, two what? Understand the time that that was, the amount of money he gave. I've heard estimates from two months to three weeks. So you go down in this seedy hotel that you just spent with this, for all you know, gang member, and then you go down to the manager and you pay that guy. Say, I need, a, I need this hotel for the next month. What's it gonna cost? Oh, it'll cost you $1,000. You say, oh, great. My friend's staying there. What's your friend's name? I don't know. I just saw him. And you dish out 1000 bucks. You're like... You don't need to go on the details. I do this all the time. Like, I've been there. Yeah, that's what you do, right? You'd pay for a hotel for a month for a guy, for all you know, he had this coming. Writes the guy a blank check. 
He says whatever he needs. So you go down to the sketchy manager, pay for a month's stay, and then you say, hey, whatever he needs, you just buy it. This sketchy manager, what's he going to do? Like, oh, sweet. You, you literally, because you've done this before, write a blank check, hand it to the sketchy manager. You come back, who knows? He's going to like, yeah, he need a little more wine. We need some things. He was hurt. Just crazy the way this guy loved this guy. And then you return back to the scene of the crime to check on the guy. We've all been there, right? Because I'm a good guy. That's what I'd do. Isn't that what you would do? Jesus says, treat people this way, and you have eternal life. We're good. Is that how you treat people? Is that what you do for people? I'm reading a book called, it's, you know, Everyone Always. You know, who is my neighbor? Treat everybody always this crazy, extravagant love because that's how loving I am. You want to be saved? Do that. Have fun. How you feeling? Is that what's happening here? Jesus saying, yeah, just be a halfway decent person. I know you'll fall short, but, you know, sprinkle a little religion. We're good. It can't be. What is happening here? Even out of the gate. So I want you to take the journey that the lawyer took. Okay, what does it mean to be a Christian disciple? Love God with everything you are. Love nothing above God. Love him with your body, with your mind, with your heart, soul, strength. And then, again, we all say we love God. What's the best way to tell? Love everyone as yourself. Let's test that filter, us good people of ours. Okay, I had a buddy. Text me early in the week. Man, my car broke down. And he was like late and missing work on a Monday morning. And we're all like, oh, you know, thumbs down, you know, she's face, you know. We're just sending all this as he breaks down. When your car, anybody ever had car trouble? Raise your hand if you had car trouble. You've never had car trouble? Okay, you have had it. What did you do? In that situation, you call off work. Hey, I can't be there. I got to get my car fixed. You take it to the shop. You get it fixed immediately. You pay whatever it is to get that covered. You ever have a friend have a car breakdown? Okay. I'm assuming you called off work, you paid with your credit card, and you did everything you could to make sure that dude or lady had their car back as soon as they could. That's the standard. You ever been out of work? You ever been looking for work? What do you do? You tighten down your budget. You get rid of all unnecessary spending. You dip into your savings to pay for whatever necessary bills, and then you call everybody you know to get yourself a job. Raise your hand if you ever knew somebody looking for work. Did, it, did you change your lifestyle to help them? Did you make all kinds of sacrifices? Did you dip into your savings to cover for them? Did you call everybody you knew to get that person a job? Because that's how we're supposed to love everybody. I'll give you one more. Raise your hand if you ever had, if you have a kid, and you ever had a kid sick. I've had a kid sick. Do you know what I did? I did everything. I had a kid sick, and he was in Youngstown. I drove to Youngstown every night. I paid anything. I prayed every day for that kid. I talked to any doctor. I did everything I could to make sure my kid was okay. You ever known somebody with a sick kid? Did you love him like that? Did you pray every night for that kid? Did you go visit them every day? Because that's what he's saying. If you want to say, this, remember, this man is trying to justify himself. No, I'm a good person. You want to be a good person? Do that and do that for everybody. Now tell me who's a good person. 
That's the standard. You want to be in this, I'm a good person, I help people? He said, you've never helped somebody. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody. So what do we do? That's impossible, right? Our best out, this has got to be just some ideal. This is, you know, the ideal for a good person. God knows nobody's perfect. Is that the setup? What was the question that was asked? How do I have eternal life? Love God with all your heart. Love people. Ooh, Jesus, that sounds, even though the guy said it, that sounds hard. Can you break it down for me? Can you make this a little bit more so I can wrap my head around it? Basically, the setup question is, Jesus, can you kind of give me the minimum? That's when this started to turn for me. The good Samaritan isn't an ideal. It's the setup to the question of what's the minimum? This is the minimum. That's how you love people. You love everybody always. It just re- disregard how it affects you. You sacrifice. You give them everything. If you want to be on this good person train, that you're a good person, here's the minimum. Do you feel that? If you want to sit here and justify yourself like this lawyer, if you want to really believe that you're going to stand before God and say, hey, I'm a good person, I've done some good things, Love is not intention. Love is action. And this is the definition of love. You're going to tell me you can look God in the eye and say you've reached that. We're not even close. So as you're sitting there, I want you to know you are not good enough. (laughs) I'm glad I came to church. Like, that's why I'm here, Jack. I know I'm not good enough, and now I'm having you come and yell at me, tell me I'm not good enough. Is that what you want to hear? Is that what you think I'm telling you? And the answer is yes. That's what Jesus is doing to the lawyer, is helping him know you're not good enough. If your journey is to earn God's love, to think that you're going to prove God to do enough good things, Jesus is doing everything he can to get him off the train. Listen to this quote. Until you are crushed by the sight of the mercy God requires of you, you won't be humble enough to receive the mercy God offers you. I think that's what's going on in the Good Samaritan. Because here's a guy trying to justify himself. What do I got to do? Give me the minimum. Here's the minimum. And until you get to that place where you can finally say, okay, I'm not good enough. Now we can start moving somewhere. Now you're starting to understand the Good Samaritan. Stop with the, I'm trying to prove myself to God to earn his love. You'll never make it. Your standard and his standard are in different stratospheres. This is only talking about doing enough good things. As you stand before God, do you know there's two types of sins? Sins of commission and sins of omission? You know, the things that you do, commission that you commit, Doing what God forbids, lying, cheating, stealing, all those things, you need to make an account for everything that you've done to offend God. We'll also give an account for sins of omission. All the good things that God called you to do that you said no to. We haven't dealt with the sin part. This is only how far we've fallen short. So we start, well, I've done this, I've helped this person. Listen to how God talks about our good deeds and we're a good person when, now God is for good deeds, but when we're trying to justify ourselves and prove ourselves to God. 
All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Do a word study on that when you get a chance. Filthy rags. When you stand before God and start spouting off all the good things you've done, he's saying, that's not even close. You, you are those who justify yourselves before men. When you're trying to prove yourself before God, God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That one's from Jesus. You might want to hang on to that. If you think that you're good enough, and in God's eyes, as far as proving and meeting his standard, you're not even close. And I want you to feel the weight of that, because until that crushes you, you're not going to step back from it and say, okay, I'm not good enough, so where do we go from here? Reading this commentary really brought it together for me. Keeping the law is a way of life. It is not a way to life. It is only when, by God's grace, we have become the right sort of people, his people, by new birth, that we begin to do the right sort of things. This is huge. Did you notice Jesus didn't answer his question? What do I got to do? Who is my neighbor? How does it end? Who is a neighbor? He asked the lawyer, are you a neighbor? Are you doing the right kind of neighboring? He takes it from identity. It's no longer about do all these right things and then we're good. It's are you the right sort of person? He takes it to identity. Did you catch that switch? If Jesus were to answer the man's question straight up, he has to get at that assumption of stop with this being good enough game. How would it have gone? A priest, a Levite, and then a God-fearing Jew help a Samaritan. Did you see that? That's how it should have went, and Jesus flips it. Wait a minute. The Samaritan helps the Jew. These people hated each other. I wish I could do a whole sermon on racism. I mean, so much of that is here. When people try to self-justify, racism is assumed in the story when you are self-righteous because you got to put others down. What is happening when the Samaritan helps him? What is your identity? One other thing I'd love to point out. Remember, he connects the love of God to the love of people. Do you notice he didn't say these commands in the beginning? I'm sure you didn't catch it, because I would think, love God, love people. Follow these commands. Do you notice he didn't say that? Do this. In God's eyes, those are one linked command. Love God, love people. Do you know he links one other love again? Yes, this is a way of life. I want you to love people this way. I want you to love people crazy to where a point where it hurts, sacrificially. It is a way of life, but it's not a way to life. How do we love? Because he first loved us. I think that's what this is about. Can you let go of trying to prove yourself to God? Jesus invites the man to, who do you identify with in this story? The beginning of the story, the lawyer thinks he's the good Samaritan that's supposed to help everybody because that's the question. There's the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. The one person Jesus invites us to see ourselves as is the man beaten on the road. That's who you are in the story. And until you see yourself as that person, the person that the world kicked in the teeth, 
the person that felt hopeless, the person that needed a savior, the great Samaritan. In this, clearly, you have to see Jesus as the great Samaritan. He's the hero in this one. You're the one that were bleeding, you were wounded, and you had no chance, no hope. The Samaritan is the last person he'd ever thought would help him. Until you see yourself as the one that was helpless, that you weren't good enough, and finally humbled yourself, and then you felt Jesus reach down, the last person that owed you nothing, pick you up, and say, I've got you. Let me heal you. Let me pay your debts for you. Only then can you start to do these sort of things. You know, I tell people, go foster. What do you mean? Spend 36 hours of training, bring someone who comes from trauma into my home, make me feel vulnerable, put my family at risk? How could I ever ask you to do that? Do not go to guilt. Guilting you to be a better person will never work. You'll never get there. Religion, remember, the priests, the Levites didn't do it. Religious guilt will never get you there. Only when you see yourself as the wounded one, first loved by God, that you've built your love upon that, will you start to do these sort of things. How could I ever ask you to go through all that training, you know, welcome somebody into your home, pay your money to welcome someone in the foster system into your home? It's simple. Realize that's what Jesus did for you. And then out of that overflow, filled with his love, will we begin to love like that. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so prone to guilt, to religion, to self-righteousness, like this lawyer trying to justify himself. God, by your spirit, free all of us from that prison of trying to prove that we're good enough to you, trying to earn your love, that we would rest and come to the place that we are not good enough. We never will be. God, that we wouldn't feel guilty in that, but we would let go of that burden that is crushing us. We would realize we were the ones on the road. We were the ones hurting. And you scooped us up. You brought us into your home. You healed our wounds, forgave our debts. God, let us feel your healing hand this morning and turn around and love others like you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.